0: Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito and I'm here today with Dr. Carl Ruggillo, who is professor of ophthalmology at the Thomas Jefferson University and director of the retina service at the Wills Eye Hospital. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, Carl.
1: Thank you, Carmen, great to be here.
0: Uh, Well, we've had some big news lately, which is that there is FDA approval of the first sustained delivery system for anti-VEGF therapy in retina, that is SUSVIMO, which is formerly known as the port delivery system. And you've had a lot to do with the clinical development of of this system. Tell us exactly what Susvimo is.
1: So Susvimo is, as you mentioned, a sustained release delivery system. Um, That's why we called it the port delivery system. It's an intraocular reservoir device filled with a special high concentration version of ranibizumab uh, implanted in the OR sits securely in the eye wall. Most of it's intraocular, uh, only a small flange and diaphragm is on the surface of the eye wall covered by conjunctiva. So the one trip to the OR to implant it and initially fill it. And then thereafter, uh, it is refilled in the office with a special refill exchange needle and procedure. Um, so it's a, a, a local operation, local anesthesia-like outpatient operation to insert the device and then thereafter it should be uh, refilled in the office.
0: So just give us a high level summary of the phase three pivotal trial results. Uh, What were the key findings?
1: So we compared the device uh, implanted and then refilled every six months on a fixed and regular basis to monthly ranibizumab injections uh, in eyes that have already been treated to some degree, relatively recently diagnosed wet AMD, um, having a minimum of three anti-VEGF injections. And so these are patients that were then randomized to get either the monthly injections or the device in what is essentially the maintenance phase of wet AMD management. And it showed uh, equivalent, not just non-inferior, but equivalent vision outcomes at the primary endpoint, which was the average of weeks, 36, 40. Um, And so that's about almost up to two refill exchange cycles uh, in the monthly injections in the control arm. So equivalent vision outcomes and um, excellent, essentially identical exuberative control based on OCT outcomes.
0: What was the uh, average duration? How long could a patient go without being refill on average or median, median, mean, whatever you'd like to tell us?
1: Yeah, now we didn't get that information, of course, from the phase three Archway study because right. uh, patients were refilled whether or not they needed it at six months. And in fact, if they didn't quite make six months, they could have supplemental injections. That's the way Archway was designed. And, right. and the, the nice thing about Archway is it told us that up over ninety five, even ninety eight percent of patients went s- the first six months without needing supplemental injections. So. What that told us is you can reliably get six months in nearly all patients. Um, Now there'll be rare exceptions, of course. It was the phase two ladder study that really put the device to the test in terms of how durable it could potentially be. So to answer that, your question, it was in the phase two study that that same high concentration, 100 milligram per ml concentration of drug filling the device, patients went on average Uh, median time to refill or the durability in essence was just over 15 months. Um, And so that means a good number of our patients are going to go six, nine, 12 or more months uh, before they really need to be refilled. Now, whether we do that in practice or not, how we use it, that yes to be determined.
0: So in the real world, when this is, the system is going to be available, Mm -hmm. uh, Can you give us some advice about case selection?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's going to be very important. Um, First of all, the way the studies were designed, uh, clearly we're going to use it at least at first in patients that have already been started on their typical anti-VegF injections. Um, And once they're shown to be responsive, um, we then may pick and choose the patients or offer it to patients that maybe on the side of needing more frequent injections. I certainly am going to start to think about it for patients that um, you know, when we do this induction maintenance, if in the maintenance phase, you do the treatment extend, you can't really extend them much more four, six, eight weeks. Um, uh, those patients are going to be really interested in having a device that will give them uh, true sustained delivery and much less frequent treatment and maybe even less frequent office visits to some degree. Um, for patients that you're treating with wet AMD that are extended uh, with their current injection medicine to 10, 12 weeks or more, yeah, they still could potentially be entrusted or, or benefit from having sustained release, but they're probably gonna be maybe a little less inclined. That's what we, we predict or expect. In fact, we ran, uh, we meaning uh, Um, me and my colleagues on the retina service of Will's Eye, we ran some surveys with patients and doctors and asked the patients and the doctors, if you'd be interested in having the device, knowing the safety profile that exists to date, um, uh, whether you'd be more inclined to have it depending on how frequently you're getting injected. And that's exactly what you would expect. Both doctor and patient tend to gravitate towards offering or getting the device if they're getting injections more frequently. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other factors too, I should say, ocular characteristics, for example. Um, You know, whether the patients had a vitrectomy or not, it it still could work in that setting. So that's probably not a deciding factor, but patients that have had a lot of previous conjunctival work, if they've had glaucoma surgery and so forth, the device is placed in the super temporal quadrant of the eye. And so if there's been a lot of conjunctival, prior conjunctival manipulation from surgery, that's definitely not a good candidate. Um, because it's really important that the device, uh, that the integrity of the conjunctiva of the device is intact, um, and uh, that will help to keep the infection rates low. So um, if there's been previous conjunctival manipulation, thinning, scarring, that's not a good candidate for sure.
0: Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be ideal in candidates that uh, had no vitreous? Because there, yeah. th- there's no vitreous gel to act as a reservoir.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, technically, we haven't put it in an eye that's had a prior vitrectomy. So when you make that mm-hmm. rather large incision, globe yep. could get hypotenuse kind of quickly. But, right. but you're absolutely right. I think we've all had these patients that ultimately have had vitrectomy and need to get injections, and they clear the drug faster, and they need their injections more frequently. And the release characteristics are the same whether there's vitreous gel or not. And in fact, we've had had patients. Um, that have had vitrectomy with the device in place and the device continues to work exactly as it, you would expect.
0: How big is the reservoir?
1: So the reservoir, the, the device itself measures, uh, people say uh, it's about the, same of, about the size of a grain of rice. I guess it depends mm-hmm. on the rice, uh, but um, it's about eight millimeters in length and about two and a half millimeters in uh, width looks like a, like a bowling pin and mm-hmm. um, it holds 20 microliters.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, how will the drug be dispensed basically?
1: So it's, the drug is going to come in a vial. It's going to come packaged with, in fact, this is new information. I just heard going to come packaged with the device and it's going to be the hospital or surgery center It's gonna be the OR that's gonna purchase that and uh, together as a unit, including all any special instrumentation to insert mm-hmm. the device and implant it in the OR. And then there'll also be a, a vial sold separately um, that you drop the, drop the drug in the office. It's drawn up through a filter needle and then you have that special 34 gauge exchange needle. That's, that's important. You can't just tap this device with any old needle. Because what we're doing is we're f- actually flushing 100 microliters when we do this refill exchange uh, through the device to to exchange it with completely fresh drug.
0: hmm And what's the uh, what's the volume in the in the device again?
1: It's 20 microliters.
0: Tw- tw- 20 microliters. Mm-hmm. The concentration of uh, the concentration is what 100 milligrams per ml.
1: Yep, that's for- about 10x 10x what we're currently using. As a correct. standard intravitual injection of Lucentis, for example.
0: So, so Zvimo it refers both to the device and to the drug. Is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: It's yeah,
1: going to. I'm sure it's going to cause some confusion, but that's exactly right. So it's the it's the device in conjunction with the specialized high concentration version of ranibizumab.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what about the surgery? Um, how do how do surgeons learn how to do this procedure optimally?
1: Well, that's a really important question uh, because um, this is gonna take training. It is a unique procedure. I'm gonna say outright, it's it's not particularly difficult, but there are a lot of unique and important aspects to doing each step uh, correctly and precisely. Um, Because each and every step, if you don't do it just right, has been correlated with various significant adverse events. For example, uh, the wound size has to be very accurate. You make it too small, you increase the risk for intraocular hemorrhaging. You make it too large, you increase the risk of the device dislocating. Um, If you don't close the conjunctiva and tenons layers well over the device, it's a setup for conjunctival retraction, erosion, and exposure device, which is definitely correlated with infection and optimitis. So what's gonna to need to happen, of course, if you were an investigator, you're gonna be very familiar with the latest iteration of the surgical approach because that has evolved and it's evolved for good reason because uh, various issues and complications uh, that we've had to uh, address uh, allowed for refinement of the surgical technique and mitigation of those problems over time. So. The way the surgery is right now is actually pretty good. It should help to keep the complication rates at at an acceptably low level, Um, but it's gonna take training. And uh, it's a multi-step training process. Uh, There's going to be, uh, of course, videos. There's gonna be peer-to-peer education. There won't be necessarily formal certification, um, but the surgeon should go through these steps. And then there's gonna be one other um, aspect to it, which is in-person, Uh, with a surgical device specialist, an SDS is Mm -hmm. what they're called. Uh, So there's going to be um, a person that comes out, meets with the surgeon, goes over the steps, uh, has in essence like a wet lab, and then is also going to be in there in the OR uh, during at least the first five operations. At least that's the plan, the way it's put forth right now. So there's going to be a lot of support in uh, a lot of ways to, to get this all down in the best way so that doctors become proficient at doing the operation, keep the complication rates as low as possible.
0: Well, that's imp- that is that is impressive. Very, yeah. very impressive. Um, and, and that
1: was that's what we had to do in the clinical trial. And in fact, every time we changed the operative procedure, essentially everyone had to be reoriented, retrained. So it was a huge task, especially at the phase three level to do a drug device combination. Uh, so It's really a monumental event, not only to have this new treatment available for our patients to be able to offer true sustained delivery, uh, which I tell people, it's not just decreasing the burden, making things more convenient for the patient. It's hoping to get better long-term vision outcomes because it's just more forgiving to have sustained delivery of drug rather than intermittent therapy, which allows for recurrences and vision loss over time. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: How many surgeons have actually implanted one of these devices so far? How many have been trained? Would you estimate?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know offhand, but um, all the studies to date, and this is now Mm -hmm. changing, have been U.S. only. Um, So there's probably been anywhere between 100 and 200 that have probably played a role in putting this device in. Um, now the device is going global and the, uh, that's being launched, uh, with the so-called Velodrome study. And so we're now training, um, and I'm helping to, to train these surgeons, uh, internationally all over the world. So, uh, we do expect and hope that the device is approved in other countries, uh, even before the Velodrome study is complete. Um, but nonetheless, the Velodrome study allows for. Uh, surgeons across the world to start to get familiar with it and um, we start to see the way this rolls out globally. Um, so uh, this, the, the training process in the. US is going to start over the next couple months. In fact, uh, some some programs are already underway.
0: So what other retinal disorders are being investigated right at this moment?
1: Yeah, two other things are happening uh, in this realm of this port delivery system. Um, right now, of course, we've got the FDA approval for wet AMD. Um, and um, the, the exact same drug device combination is being tested in both diabetic macular edema and diabetic retinopathy without edema. Um, so, And it's being tested in slightly different ways, different types of treatment intervals and so forth. And um, right now, those are the only disease states being tested. But there's one other um, uh, area of research. The same device is also being tested with another type of drug um, called dutafab, which is basically um, forisimab in a fragment form. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that is a a bispecific antibody fragment that's being tested in the same device at the phase one level for wet MD. Well,
0: has that has that study started yet?
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Phase one study is already underway because you can't just throw in any old drug in this device, especially the larger the drug is. It's harder to get the amount of drug you need. Um, Concentration issues come into play. And and the pores on the um, release control element would have to be different right now. That's sized for something about the size of ranibizumab.
0: So they they have uh, different pore sizes for forizumab?
1: Um, well, it's, it's the same device, but that's why they had to make uh, essentially a fragment form of for hand that's what the, the DudaFab is, yeah, so it's, what? it's probably about the same size and therefore the release characteristics should be similar.
0: What's the delivery interface actually made out of the, the stuff that's got the pores?
1: Titanium. It, the it's device titanium. Is, yeah. The device is almost all solid silicone. Uh, the diaphragm on the external aspects of the device is soft silicone, that's which you penetrate with the exchange needle. And on the internal aspect of things to, to control the release of the drug into the vitreous cavity is titanium.
0: What about pharmacoeconomics? Is there going to be a special uh, procedure code for implantation of the reservoir? Is that anticipated?
1: Um, no. So right now, what I my understanding is that it will be the same surgical implant code as what we would use for like a GAN implant.
0: Oh, I see. Okay. So we already have, we have a code for that.
1: Yeah. So we have a, an implant surgery code already.
0: So Mm -hmm. that's,
1: I believe that's, what's going to be used.
0: It hasn't been used very frequently with the, uh, with the decline, the dramatic decline of CMV retinitis.
1: Right, so now that code has been used more frequently, oh, more recently with the Red Assert implant. Retisert, so, yeah. Yeah, it'd be a similar sort of thing. They, they think the work value and time involved is a similar.
0: Well, Carl, thanks a lot for your, your time and uh, the new information that you've given us. This is a very exciting uh, um, concept and well-proven, and it's got, a, it's got a long path ahead in terms of other applications.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think this is a, a, a really big development, and uh, uh, probably the biggest in you know since we've actually introduced the anti-VEGFs, uh, at least for wet AMD. So it's really exciting. I think it's going to really help our patients. Thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, Carmen. Thanks for having me.